Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here Absolutely. It's a Monday well, it could be Tuesday, it could be Wednesday, depending on when you're hearing my podcast or hearing my radio show and syndication. I'm here delivering information. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald, and you're listening to Money Making Conversation. Each Money Making Conversation radio talk show or podcast is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. My goal is to uh, share advice that has uh, been given to me, advice that I've given to people over the years. A lot of people have big dreams. They don't have plans associated with those dreams. My show is to try to break that uh, down that wall to say you cannot achieve a dream, a dream without achieving a plan. And a, and a plan has to be written. It cannot be hoped upon. It cannot be. It can be prayed upon, but a pray that prayer has to turn into work. And a lot of people tend to put a lot of weight on that prayer. Uh, they say they jump out there, a leap of faith. I've heard those statements before. Uh, Right place, right time, you know. It was my moment. Okay, where is it written down, though? You got to write that all down. got to write all those moments down. <laughs> oh, guess what? It's not going to happen the way you want it to happen. Believe me, because of the fact that I've been in that chair where I've just been hoping. I, mean, I call that the lotto experience. You just sit around and you just be hoping that it's going to happen. I'm playing the lotto. It's my time. It's my, ter- it's my journey. It's my moment. Guess what? There are no guarantees. My guests, in turn, deliver information about career planning, motivation, financial literacy, and how they lead a balanced life. My next guest, Randy, is a young man. First of all, we're going to go back to the L.A. days. <laughs> but then I was at uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Holly Robinson, Pete, and her husband. They do an uh, autism event. Um, yeah, yeah. And also they've been a charity race in regards to her father. Uh, and I attended. Uh, finally, I finally showed up. I give money all the time. I finally showed up. And uh, uh, Holly was uh, shocked that I showed up this year. Actually, when she hollered out my name during the event, and I said yes, she was actually stunned that I was there. But we, when you go out in public, you tend to meet people you had not seen in a long time and also realize the impact that you made in just basic conversation or just, I guess you could say, mentoring. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to do when I meet individuals. My next guest is a celebrated celebrity master barber award-winning actor, director, producer, and screenwriter. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Louis T. Powell. Hey, hey, hey. How's everybody doing out there? My man, Rashawn. First, I want to say, Rashawn, you know, thank you for all that you do, uh, the philanthropy work. You know, you've really been a pillar in the community, man, just stepping out there with graciousness and abundance, man, and sharing that wealth with everybody, man. And that's just such a blessing to have people like you circumventing uh like I said, for the culture, and I want to say thank you. You've been a star supporter of the <laughs> Holly Robinson Pete Foundation, man. Uh, I've seen you give on numerous occasions, man, from your heart, and it's just a beautiful thing to see. Well, you know, the thing about it is that um, there's no reason as to why I give. There's the, there's a, the, the fact that I, I have to give, and then um, um, I, I've, I've lived, I realized that I affect so many different people. I've started foundations for other um, friends of mine and helped them to push things in the right direction. One of my big things I'm doing right now is for HBCUs. You're a graduate of HBCU. Yeah. Howard University. School, Howard yeah. University, mm-hmm. where I'm trying to become a media force along with Stephen A. Smith to bring brand awareness to uh, 
it, it really kind of annoys me the uh, treatment of uh, HBCUs because it always feels like the the word struggle mm-hmm. is tied to an HBCU school. It always looked like you know we, we asking for a financial handout from the government, and uh, and it, it, it tends to really muddy down the great institutions that HBCUs are. But let's talk to us about that experience because I'm on a lot of the HBCU stations, mm-hmm. uh, schools care about show as well as Sirius XM 141 and 142. Yeah, I mean, you know, to that point, it is. It, it is. It's always, like you said, it, people always try to associate struggle with HBCUs. Right. But you look at institutions like Howard that's been over, I mean, been around for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And and as, as well as other established black uh, HBCUs that don't give it, get as much credit. Right. You know, I mean, struggling. I mean, when you look at some of the most prominent doctors and black lawyers mm-hmm. and accountants and mm-hmm. physicians, my mother's a Howard graduate. You know, mm-hmm. she came out in 67 mm-hmm. and she's an accountant. And mm-hmm. when I look at her alumni being, you know, she's a Delta Sigma Theta. And it's mm-hmm. like I look at a lot of her little events that they have. And it's like all these professional, uh, financially well-off people that have actually been sewing back into their communities right. and mm-hmm. various different states all over the United States. I mean, excuse me, all over the United States. So. Mm-hmm. When you look at the struggle that people say that the HBCUs have, I think that that's just the media putting out some kind of propaganda, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way to kind of shine the light off Mm -hmm. of excellence Mm -hmm. that we've always been bringing. Now, also, you you mentioned your your mom, your dad. Now, you're a master barber. Yeah. And your dad, he's a barber. 50, 50 years. Let's talk about that relationship. You know, he Uh, kind of pushed you in that direction or it was just a natural, uh, you know, See my father, I do yeah, with my father. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was it was kinda like a natural progression. You know, in the Washington DC area, our barbershops have been around since nineteen sixty five. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um I have a, I have a younger brother my younger brother, he has like four bar, beauty and barber salons in the DC, Maryland area. So. And I know our families probably know each other. So it's like cause it, it's like we had one off uh Upshur Street. Uh, Lamont Street and Georgia Avenue, mm-hmm. Kennedy Street and mm-hmm. 12th and A Street Northeast. Mm-hmm. So it's like when I started off in barbering, my father actually brought us. It's, it's about 17 barbers in my family. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good, it's, it's, it's stretched in far, far and few between, man. But I, I started off in the shop signing shoes and uh-huh. nickels, dimes, and quarters, sweeping guys' backs off. Uh, you know, I was a little kid when a guy would jump off the chair and <laughs> and if he didn't want to tip me, man, I'd sweep you all the way till you got out the door. I would embarrass you to pay, you know to tip me, man. It was it was cool, it was cool, but it was it was a progression where you know I jumped off into that space, and by the time I was about thirteen, I, I remember the first haircut I really kind of just gaffled, and was my cousin Glenn Johnson. Uh, my father came home, and he came out of the uh, he came out of this little room in the basement, and, uh-huh. and looked at it, and he was like, "I didn't know you wanted to grab the tools yet." Mm-hmm. I see you need some work. <laughs> hey, can't let the reputation get messed yeah, no, up. No, no, exactly, exactly. Amateur night moments yeah, here. Yeah, Well, you know, being your, you know, you talk about your dad. Yeah, that, being yeah. a barber. That's yeah, that's yeah. that's that's the core of being an yeah, entrepreneur. You know, definitely. he's taking the talents and look. As long as I got these scissors, I can make money somewhere. Yeah, yeah. You know that that really. I, I remember when I uh, left IBM and I as pursued my career as a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. I always felt that no matter what, unlike an actor, yeah. I had to, an actor has to wait on an opportunity. Yeah. As a stand-up, yeah. as long as I can tell jokes, yeah. I can get on stage and make yeah. me some money. Yeah. And it was it was really it really empowered me a lot in my career. If I would say that I was an actor just waiting on the opportunity mm-hmm. versus, hey. If you just let me on that stage. Yeah. Let yeah. me on that stage. Give me 15 yeah. minutes. You're going to write me a check. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. so that, that really, uh, that even though you're into the entertainment, because you have that skill set, mm. doesn't it give you a really, uh, uh, an unbridled amount of 
uh, of confidence that uh, most no matter definitely. what, you can still exist. Yeah, because that's one of the reasons why I created Padlock, man, as long on the entrepreneurial business side. Right. It was one of those things where, you know, I've always worked as an independent. You know, when I worked in music, you know, I pushed the record to Billboard charts out of my living room. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, when I was at the space of when I, my barbering business, it mm-hmm. was like, you know, I cut numerous celebrities from 50 Cent to Outkast to Dwayne Wade. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was like one of those things. I built my business uh, accordingly, so each one of them worked together, mm-hmm. unified. Mm-hmm. When I looked at Padlock, man, it was it was just another mm-hmm. etching mm-hmm. that etch, etching that space. You know, my first two films I sold independently, and I was like, you know what? Well, why can't I create a pilot myself? Mm-hmm. Why can't I go out and take this pilot, chop it, and why can't I figure out the distribution and finance it myself also to take that to the next level? Mm-hmm. Which in which in return can incorporate me as an actor, as right. a director, right. and as a score, you know, right. for for music. And then on top of that, it's like I want to be in the lane to try to create more opportunities, not just for myself, but people outside of me. And and when you start creating that ecosystem as an entrepreneur, obviously you know that all of it pays dividends, Absolutely. man, backwards Absolutely. and forwards. So. It really is amazing when you talk about uh, you know. I always tell people when I, and even in this conversation, Mr. Mm-hmm. Paul, when I'm talking to you, and is it's about uh, understanding your opportunities. Mm-hmm. Now, how does social media, how does brand marketing play a role, and how do you get the word out? And also, you can give out your handles now. Uh, as well. Yeah, brand marketing plays a big part. I mean, you know, in this day and time we live in, technology flows. You know. I mean, back when I first started, it was like the barbershop was the information superhighway. But now we look at Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and, you know, and all these different avenues where we actually can share our gifts with the world. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things, finding your audience, finding your niche, and then building upon that niche of the people that actually support you and starting the steamroll effect mm-hmm. to turn that over and over again to grow your audience more. Because I feel like sometimes what I look at a lot of times nowadays is people stretch themselves too thin instead of saying, you know what, if I can find a core of 1,000 people or 500 people, man, it'll support me, you know, 100%. Mm-hmm. Would I rather have 1,000 people to support me 100% or would I rather have 1,000 people only support me 10% or mm-hmm. 5,000 people only support me 1%? Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather find that niche audience, cater to them, keep building that steamroll effect to build my brand, build my business, and as I move along, I know one thing, relationships, network opens up wider. And then on top of that, like I said, people become more fans and you have more advocates, man, to create more substantial business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about it is when you look at the business that you're in, yeah. you know, you know, you mentioned celebrity names that you, mm-hmm. does that help? Most, you, yeah, most you know, definitely. That, because, you know, you, you're in an intimate relationship yeah. when you're cutting the hair. Yeah. And then you're also an actor. Yeah. You're also a director, your producer. Yeah. How does that, how does that, you know, how does that, Talk to us about that uh, balance. Yeah, the, you know what? I that's one of the things I've always kind of prided myself in because I I feel like like going back to the entrepreneur, every business that <laughs> you right. do, no matter what it is, it's it's a reflection of you. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'll give you a prime example. I, I went up to cut fifty one time for Bloomberg Business Week, right? Mm-hmm. And I walked in. I would always wear suits. Mm-hmm. Come in with a doctor briefcase with my that's tools true. in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. I walked in, I would get there about 30, 45 minutes earlier. A lot of times they thought I was 50s manager. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, oh, where does this go, Mr. Powell? And I'm like, look, I'm, I'm the barber. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that reflection, when, when I first started off in the barbering business, I would always PDF my, my invoices mm-hmm. to all of the companies because I was like, you know what? If I ever get a chance to run across them again, they'll look and say, oh, well, this guy, he's a director too. Oh, he's a, he's a writer and he's an actor. Mm-hmm. But I remember when he worked as a barber, ah, that guy was so professional. He, mm-hmm. he, he PDF'd his invoices. Mm-hmm. He was always on time. He was mm-hmm. intelligent. He was articulate, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. 
Setting the stage. Setting the stage. Mm -hmm. So when I get ready to cross that threshold in the future on any other endeavor endeavor in entertainment, especially Mm -hmm. within the celebrity space, Mm -hmm. is, you know what? Let me hear what this guy has to say. Let me Mm -hmm. take his call. Why? Mm -hmm. Because I set the stage. Absolutely. Uh, You know, as we wrap this interview up, um, you know, we all, you're not close to leaving this earth. We always have these journeys that we're trying to, uh, uh, what's the future? What's the future, Mr. Powell? Man, the future. LT Pop. Let me tell you, the future for me is you all are going to see a Dynamite limited series on HBO from Padlock Men. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm building a production company, an ecosystem for distribution. Mm-hmm. We're going to create an ecosystem for uh, to incubate talent from animators to uh, writers, directors, producers, all in house. Uh, and on top of that, it's like I just want to build a blessing like my man Rashawn here and be able to give <laughs> back you. to the people, man, that deserve it, man. And just to be able to try to create a synergy, man, of goodness, man, and just share love, wealth, intelligence, and health. Well, it was great seeing you again live in studio. Yeah. So notice you have a home now. Uh, you know, man. you got my contact information. Yes, sir. And so just keep us a post abreast of the steps. Yeah. Anything you were doing that's non-related to the project. Yeah. You know, like, for instance, you might want to give us that cover of uh, Boss Man so yeah, we can yeah. put it on a post it on our social oh, media. Because it's part of your brand. Yeah, yeah. It's part of being recognized for your yeah. excellence. And, yeah. again, thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation. Oh, man. Thank you again, Rashawn. It was a pleasure being here. And everybody out there, you can catch me on my handles at Lewis T. Powell. That's on Instagram, at Lewis T. Powell Twitter, and at Lewis T. Powell on Facebook. I appreciate you. Appreciate your teammates. We're coming right back with more Money Making Conversations. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversations. You say to yourself, who calls Rashawn's show? Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Lala Anthony. We met, you know, you always say, Rashawn, yes. uh, can you give me, can we talk, can we talk? I, I mean, always talk to you about everything, <laughs> everything. And looking at you and Steve Harvey, you know, that motivated me too because I would see all the amazing things you guys were doing and not just being on the radio. I mm-hmm. felt like at that time and even now, you mm-hmm. know, people want to put people in boxes. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the incredible Nick Cannon. You're truly one of my mentors and one of the people that showed me that you can be most you know for a fact now that you're about to capture an audience that's going to have a spending power for at least another 20 years. To me, it's like my happiness has been valuable. Money doesn't make you happy, but happy makes you money. Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com. Hi, Rashawn McDonald, host of Money Making Conversations. Hi, again, this is Rashawn McDonald. Just giving my voice tone, getting it right. Because I got one of my favorite guests on the, on the show. It's about food. So everybody know I get a little extra excited when I talk to people about food. So I got to calm down. I got to calm down. Because each Money Making Conversation radio talk show or podcast is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. They, in turn, my guests deliver information about career planning, motivation, financial literacy, and how they lead a balanced life. They're motivated. I, my guests have really been t- been tuning in to delivering these messages, this message on a regular basis. I'm really excited about my next guest. He's an owner, executive chef, that means food, of several very popular restaurants. He was born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida, and attended college at the University of Florida. That means he's a, he's a gator? That means he's a gator? Okay, all right. SEC? Okay, cool. 
After graduating with a dual degree in business administration and sports management, he decided to enroll in culinary school. Okay, now that's a, that's a switch now. Please welcome. He's here to tell his story and the, all the success he's had over the years since he's graduated with that culinary degree. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Eduardo Jordan. Thank you for having me. My man. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Yes, where, where, are you at, where are you at right now? Where are you calling from right now? I'm, 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 I'm in Seattle, Washington. I'm home before I'm headed to work. Seattle, yeah. Washington. Now, I've been to Seattle a couple of times. I used to do stand-up comedy. I went up there way back in the day, did some jokes up there. I stopped in there when I was going to Vancouver for a cruise. Okay. So, uh, But I'm going to tell you something. Let's let's talk a little bit about you before we get to this this, this <laughs> menu that that that, uh, that really— uh, and I'm already told—I'm going to just tell you this, Eduardo. Um, I'm, I'm, you're going to see me before the year out, brother. <laughs> Heard that. You're going to see me that. before the year out. I'm going to let everybody know. You're going to find out why. Why I'm going to go up there with my wife. She's already she's already signed off. She's, <laughs> she's going to be coming up there. With, so we got to get a day. Do you have a chef table at your restaurants? Yeah, we, we will make a table for you. There Don't you worry go. about that. There you go. Okay, cool. Let, let's talk about the beginning. Because I talked about, uh, 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 we talked about the, the degrees in the business administration and that still help, that still helps you out now because you're you're you know your your owner your entrepreneur so that degree in the business administration does help you out. Then you went into sports management. How did the whole culinary part of your life start to rise to the top? Well, you know, I I honestly I started with food at the age of nine. Um, you know, food has always been um, an intimate part of like uh, my experience growing up. Um, you know, when I was nine years old, my mom put me in the kitchen because she noticed that I had an interest for food because I was always asking my grandmother questions. Uh, my grandmother's a, a southerner. She's originally from Cairo, Georgia. And, um, you know, her specialty was cooking big old lavish meals for the family and friends to come over and hang out her, at her house, mm-hmm. um, you know, for family reunions, after church, mm-hmm. you know, all of the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all about grandma. And so, you know, I took an interest into food then and there. And I guess that kind of, you know, played a role in my life later on when I was decided on the real direction that I wanted to go in on my true passion. Um, so it was all about like that, that foundation with mom and grandmother of like hospitality and food. Um, mom showing me around the kitchen, my mom giving me my first cookbook at probably like the age of 10 or 11. I don't remember the exact time period. Um, well, the question that will pop out is that you said since nine, why didn't you immediately yeah. go into that direction? Why did you go to? Oh man, um, you know it was it, it was kind of like you know the reality is um, you know my mom and my dad wanted me to go to college. I right. was the first person in my family to go to college, right? And we're talking about extended family too. Um, and so their mission was to make sure that I, you know, get an education, also get a degree that is gonna send me in <laughs> the path that they thought and believed. It's going to be great for me, you know, become a right. doctor, become a lawyer, become a sports agent or something that dictated high paying, well-established job with benefits, et cetera. So um, their mission was just point me in the right direction. And cooking was definitely not the direction they assumed that I should be going in. Because let's um, be real. You know, you got a lot of cooks <laughs> out there, but don't have a lot of chefs of color out there. Color. Exactly. And, and the reality is, you know, um, culinary world is a very hard world. I mean, you're working, you know, 13, 14 hours a day, um, not getting paid the highest wages. And 
um, you know, dollar for dollar, hour per hour, you're definitely working way more than most doctors and most lawyers for, you know, far less. So they saw, you know, me going to college as a, as a better direction for me. And they definitely encouraged me, like, you know, follow my dreams and everything. Like, cook, enjoy it. Go, go become a doctor, and then one day you can own your own restaurant while you're a doctor right? kind of thing. <laughs> okay, now, now, now so we're in Florida, having a good time. That's big football mm-hmm. powerhouse, basketball powerhouse. Oh, yes, so you, so you, then, then the cooking really is what you want to do. You, you've satisfied their expectation, their dreams. I always tell people, you can't report a degree. So I love it. I Correct. love the fact. My degree is in mathematics. You can't, they can't come in and go, you know something? That degree off the wall, we're going to take that degree off the wall. We're going to take it away from you. No, you can't do that. You can't do it. Once that degree hits that wall and you say I'm out, we good. We good. Yeah. I, don't care how, I don't care what that college loan is. We good. We good. <laughs> and so so the beauty of what you're at right now is that I, I, I love this conversation because it talks about defining your path. It talks about right. understanding that I, I, can, I can accomplish many things, but all those are things that I really want to do. And so mm-hmm. cooking is what you really wanted to do. And so I was, here's the thing that we want to talk about, because climbing the ladder to be a chef, humbleness, mm-hmm. low pay, long hours, again, humbleness, hours. you know, yeah. sometimes you're being bullied because people yeah. have power over you and you have to be totally. able to navigate that. And then you're a person of color. So there's a lot of questions. Then you stigmatize. There's a lot of barriers. Yeah, you, you stigmatize, you know, what, what, especially if you want to go outside of what they think you can do. You know Correct. what I'm saying? So, so just talk about that journey a little bit there, Eduardo. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a hard, very strenuous, humbling journey. You mm-hmm. know, I, I ended up going to culinary school um, after graduating from the University of Florida. So I was a little bit older than most people in culinary school. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I was like 25 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'm looking like an elder compared to the 16 <laughs> and 17 year olds. Um, but I was extremely focused, and and I realized like in culinary school that was a reality check. You know. It was pro- we probably had ten percent of people of color there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and out of, out of that ten percent, probably five percent graduated. Right of mm-hmm. that five percent that graduated, two percent ended up finding a decent job. Right, mm-hmm. and out of that two percent, you got me, the one percent that is still remaining that I know of. Right, mm-hmm. um, and so that was pretty much my my journey and my path because as I ended up going, you know, to get. You know, distinguished jobs at distinguished locations. I, I ended up becoming an intern or apprenticeship at the French Laundry in Napa Valley. You know, one of the most pre- prestigious restaurants in the in the in the world, right? I should say, but definitely in this country. Um, you know, that was that was that was the stepping stone to my career. But at that at that same time, I realized that you know I was two percent again of of that organization. You know, it wasn't many people of color there, right? And as I progressed in my career, you know. I had to humble myself more because I was in the fine dining world. And as you move up in that ladder of cuisine, the style of cuisine, you know, the level of, of restaurant, you realize that that percentage trickles down more and more with people of color, women, uh, minorities, et cetera. Um, and the reality check was that, you know, it was a white chef's world for me. Absolutely. I was running them. And that's a, that's and an so, honest statement mm-hmm. to talk about, you know, not, not because it, you know, because of the fact that the reality is, is no, we don't know what goes on behind closed doors. And that's well, walk, walk when you go, you see, you see food being brought out and then being, then people complain. And sometimes that's when a lot of, for some reason, chefs always come to my table. 
You know, I guess because I just yeah. love food. They go, how's, how's everything <laughs> going? So you like, your, is your meal good? I go, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. And I will send food back now. I, if I don't yeah. like it, I'll tell you, hey, dude, I'm sorry. This, this is not working for and me today. Not working yeah, for me you're today. You're paying for it. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, let's talk about, because I wanted to get that part of the story out, that part of the journey out, because I want to talk about the uniqueness of your success story. And it, and it continues to grow. Explain to everybody totally. the James Beard Award. Oh, man. So, you know, think about the Emmys and the Oscars. Um, and the James Beard is just as equal for the culinary world um, as those prestigious awards. Um, it's it, The foundation was started, you know, to recognize the culinary arts world, chefs, restaurateurs, um, industry movers and shakers um, by distinguishing them with once a year honoring the best of the best. And, you know, I can say I'm fairly blessed with the fact Come on that now. Come on now. Talk to us, Eduardo. <laughs> Tell us what you got, man. I set you up fairly now. Fairly blessed. <laughs> with, two, with two distinguished awards in one year, which is unheard of, you know, for one, for one minority to um, achieve that award in one year, it's, it's a feat on its own. But to, to achieve two recognitions for best chef, um, Northwest and best new restaurant in the country for um, um, June Baby. It you know that it was just mind blowing. It, it was out of the universe. It was unheard of. You know mm-hmm. the first time that ever has happened. Right. You know I have a lot of I have a lot of firsts in my in my in my career, and I and I strive and pride myself mm-hmm. on being first. I was the first black chef ever to grace the cover of Food and Wine magazine as best new chef mm-hmm. in 2016. You know mm-hmm. that that. That's pretty huge. You think about at least some of the culinary uh, dignitaries that have have walked walked around here. You got you know you got Marcus Samuelson, mm-hmm. Patrick Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you got some very distinguished black chefs that have done great things that have not ever made it to that cover of that magazine. And that's that. You know that was a big honor. And that was a big big, big piece deal. in the start of, of of people recognizing and 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 realizing the talent that okay. I had. I printed out this menu. I came in here to let you know I love what you do. Keep doing Thank what you. you're doing. You will see me this year. Uh, Samantha, I'm going to reach it. out to you. It's going to be on the weekend. I'm going to come up there. Uh, we're going to have a good time. We're going to laugh, man. And, uh, and yes, we're going to eat and we're going to tell stories. And I'm going to support your brand. And congratulations for breaking that glass it. ceiling. And, uh, and I'm going to keep supporting you, man. And you got something going on that's special. And you are very special. Thank you for doing my show, Money Making Conversations. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversations. You say to yourself, who calls Rashawn's show? Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Lala Anthony. We met, you know, you always say, Rashawn, yes. uh, can you give me, can we talk, can we talk? I, I mean, always talk to you about everything, everything. <laughs> and looking at you and Steve Harvey, you know, that motivated me too, because I would see all the amazing things you guys were doing and not just being on the radio. I mm-hmm. felt like at that time and even now, you mm-hmm. know, people want to put people in boxes. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the incredible Nick Cannon. You're truly one of my mentors and one of the people that showed me that you can be more you know for a fact now that you're about to capture an audience that's going to have a spending power for at least another 20 years. To me, it's like my happiness is invaluable. Money doesn't make you happy, but happy makes you money. Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com.
Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com and follow Money Making Conversations on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My next guest uh, has landed her on her work. Wow. You know, uh, she is a first-timer on Money Making Conversations. Uh, her work has landed her on many lists, including being named one of the 2017 Glamour Magazine Women of the Year, the Hashtag Woke 100 by Essence Magazine, and Christian as one of the female faces of the new civil rights movement by Black Entertainment Television, BET, in addition to appearances and features in media outlets, including NBC. ABC, CBS, MSNBC, Vogue, New York Magazine, Forbes, ESPN, TV One, The Huffington Post, News One, and TheGrio.com, among others. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations the Director of National Partnerships for Airbnb, Janae Ingram. Hi, how are you? Did I get out? Did I say a lot about you, that Ms. Ingram? You did. You did, and sometimes I still, when I hear that, I'm like, really. I did that. Okay. You know, you really, you, <laughs> you know, I, I have a general tendency just to, uh, I, and I, I felt when I was reading your bio that you're a grinder. In other words, you know, you just, you accomplish tasks. You're not a person that sits back and look at your, your, your past efforts because you're always moving forward. And in general, because of that, you tend to not realize the greatness or the path that you, or the journey that you created. It's pretty impressive, my friend. Well, thank you. And I, and I think you're right about that. It, it, it is keeping my nose down to the grindstone and just continuing to push forward and um, finding new ways to, to be impactful. So hearing, you know, being reminded of, of the path that, that I've created is, is always, um, it's always inspiring, even for myself. And just, you know, says a lot about the journey um, when you're committed to something and committed to, to doing good. You know, it's really interesting when I, when I hear your voice, cause I hear a humble person, I hear a humble person that I'm communicating with. And it's almost, um, when I hear that humbleness, it almost, does it surprise you that, um, that, you know, we all, I always, I always go back to college and I was just, I was just in college. Okay. I was trying to get an education, uh, trying to get sometimes, trying to get to the next party, trying to get past that grade, just trying to get there. And then I look 20 years, 30 years later, I go, wow. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's a lot. That's a lot going on in your life, Rashawn. What, what stands out the most in your career so far? Because it's not stopping. I know that. Yeah, I, I mean, there are so many things and moments Um I I think if I had to say my you know my work right now is is really impressive and and not to diminish it but I do think the high point for me and something that I'm still really really proud of is uh planning the women's march um and that for me was something that I never I didn't go into it envisioning that I would be making history um, or envisioning that the turnout would be what it was. I kind of went in because I was passionate about creating space for people um, to raise their grievances. And, and that was, you know, I was, I was committed to the, the cause of, of justice and ensuring that, you know, again, um, all of the people who were saying that they were going to come 
were going to come to Washington, D.C. and have um, have an opportunity to have their collective voices heard. And it was something where if I would have known what I was doing when <laughs> when I was asked, like, will you come help with this? I probably would have said no, because I would have been afraid. Right. Um, I would have been afraid that I was going to fail. I would have been afraid of all of the many things that could have gone wrong. The logistics were just overwhelming. It is, it is overwhelming. And I don't think people really understand the complexities that are involved. Um, and, and maybe they do because, you know, I had prior to that March, um, I had planned the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington mm-hmm. and I was, younger. Um, I was a newer face in DC. I mean, people knew me, but I, you know, I had worked for, um, Reverend Sharpton and people just saw me as someone who worked for Reverend Sharpton and right. never understood maybe the skills and talents that I had. Um, and so I remember planning the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington and some of the, the seniors and, and elders saying to me, you know, listen, baby girl, hand me this March because I don't know that you, you know, it's a lot and it's, it's probably too much for you to handle. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and I said, no, I mean, you know, (laughs) I was clear that first of all, Reverend Sharpton had entrusted me with, Mm -hmm. with planning that March and and leading that effort. Um, And it, you know, I, I didn't want to disappoint him. So I said, no, we got it. Um, And it made a lot of people sort of stand up and look at me and say, Oh, okay. She does. She can do this. Um, but never once in planning that 50th anniversary of the March on Washington, did ever, anyone ever say to me, do you have a permit? Like, do you know what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of the elders saying, you know, this is a lot and you probably need some help. Um, whereas with the March, the Women's March, us having a permit became, you know, it became front page news of like, the women's march is happening, but they don't even have a permit. Right. Um, and, and folks don't understand like what the permitting process is. I had done it a, a lot. And so for me, it was like, okay, I know this process and I know what we're going to have to go through and I know what it takes to get a permit, but it became sort of a spectacle. And I think um, overcoming all of the naysayers, people who said the women's march is not going to happen because they don't have a permit, the women's march you know, is it's going to, it's going to flop. It's, you know, people won't show up all of the things that the naysayers were saying. But that does come across, you know, the, you know, the whole, you know, I go all the way back to the million man March, you know, mm-hmm, you know, that, mm-hmm. that was the ultimate naysayer that, uh, that why would they come and what was the general yep. purpose? And so, but it is, you know, all you do, you, 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 you put the tools in place. That's, that's what you did. And then, and then they came. Well, 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 let's let's walk you through the process of you know because you know you kind of get aware about it, the uh, the buses that are coming, the hotels yeah. that are being booked <laughs> up, the airlines that are going to have difficulty coming in <laughs> or being yeah. booked. You know, you start getting the little signs, you know that okay something's happening here. And so, when did that tingle really run up your back? Going, my God, it's happening! It's really, really happening. Um. I mean, I, I think it, it, it sort of happened along the way. So when when we planned the Women's March mm-hmm. collectively, um, you know, there was there were a lot of moving pieces. Mm-hmm. And um, but I, I really owned the piece that was 
what people showed up and experienced specifically in D.C. and then with touch points and connections with all of the marches across the country. And so, like, you know, helping folks with logistics in different parts of the country. But it happened, we started planning two months before the march happened. Right. And in those two months, you also had four holidays. You right. had Thanksgiving, Christmas, <laughs> New Year's Eve, and King Day. Right. Um, and so a lot of people were taking off, enjoying vacations. And to be honest, I actually, you know, I, I did take a vacation, even in the midst of all of the March planning. Um, and that was because of, of the experience that I had had doing Absolutely. it. But, Absolutely. Yeah, but a lot of it was, you know, a lot of it was ongoing. So when I signed on, it was like, okay, 100,000 people are going to show up to this March. Mm -hmm. And that was really through a Facebook post. So Facebook posts, I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, you say you're going to come, but are you really going to come? And then as we started to get bus numbers and Mm -hmm. as we started to get, you know, flight numbers, I think it really, it really didn't hit me until maybe the week of the March. Quite frankly, let's talk about your the, your national partnership. Let's go because I don't want to get off the phone without explaining exactly. You went into detail of different organizations. Does the, is it are you in a position where people reach out to you, or, or or you reach out to them to create these partnerships? How exactly does that work for Airbnb? Generally, it is people reaching out to us. I mean, I but I think that there are opportunities where. We, I will reach out to, you know, an organization or a, um, a leader and say, we want to engage you for a specific thing. But generally, it is lots of organizations reaching out uh, to, to me and to us as a company and wanting to work with us. And I, I think we are a brand that is, I, I would say there are a lot of people who know about us. Um, generally people are interested because it's, you know, it's a younger brand. The company was founded in 2008. So we're, we're just barely 11 years old, but, Mm. um, our name has become sort of a noun, um, in, in terms of like, when you're sharing your, your house, it's like, oh, I'm going to Airbnb, you know, I'm staying at an Airbnb. And even if it's not legitimately an Airbnb, I think that we, we have become, sort of the Kleenex, if you will, the Kleenex version of uh, home sharing. And, and, and that's a phenomenal thing um, to have a company so young that, that, that's able to become part of the lexicon that is, you know, synonymous with, with home sharing. So um, it's, it's really amazing to have that. And it, I think it creates an appetite for people to say, we want to work with you. We want to find out more about what you're doing. And and then at the same time, I think that there are things that people don't necessarily understand about our business. Right. Um, and and so, for example, we have uh, experiences, which you mentioned, are the local activities that people right. can do. And I think that that's a newer product that people are still just learning about or just figuring out. Um, I speak often uh, at conferences and different events and was just at one um, this past weekend in New Orleans. And... Home sharing, I think a lot of people know, but then I say, you know, how many of you have ever heard of Airbnb experiences and the hands are, are significantly fewer. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a, there's an opportunity there. And so in that instance, I might say we need to do more with 
you know, X community or with X leader to ensure that people are knowing about Airbnb experiences because, you know, quite frankly, you don't have to travel to do them. If you want to host one, you don't need a home to host one in. So mm-hmm. if you're in a city where there are short-term rental regulations, but you still want to flex your entrepreneurial muscle, mm-hmm. there's a way for you to do that through Airbnb experiences. And it doesn't cost you anything. It gives you an audience of millions of people that your, your product is showing up in front of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's an easy way again, to start a business. If you've had an idea about a business mm. or to really profile your business. And it's like, it's like free marketing, you know, it's free marketing to people who are traveling to your city or people who live in your city who want to see and do something different than, than what they're normally doing. They're, they're not trying to go powerful. to the churches or sit at home on a weekend. It's pretty powerful. Um, Ms. Ingram, I want to thank you for coming on my show. Uh, you're amazing. Now, I know in the end here, this part of the conversation, I'd love to bring you back on the show to get in more detail because at the first of the year, I, I, I was yeah. always the first of the year, I always try to you know, give people ways that they can start motivating and planning and, and seeing new opportunities and that whole, the, 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 uh, Airbnb experiences, I think, is, a, is something that's not being spoken of a lot because it's all about home sharing. That's 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 true. Yeah. That's where you cut your teeth. The brand has cut its teeth on that. But I know that from through social media, through planning, that that whole process that you're talking about is the next wave of great success with Airbnb. And the fact that you can come in and market and take advantage of a, an audience out there and expand your brand, we need to talk more about that. Will you come back? I would love to come back. It's been a joy talking to you. And you've been fantastic. And I love talking to you because you took time to speak to Rashawn McDonald. Your busy, 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 busy schedule. <laughs> Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversations. You say to yourself, who calls Rashawn Shell? Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Lala Anthony. We met... You know, you always say, Rashawn, yes. uh, can you give me, can we talk, can we talk? I, I mean, always talk to you about everything, everything. <laughs> and looking at you and Steve Harvey, you know, that motivated me too because I would see all the amazing things you guys were doing and not just being on the radio. I mm-hmm. felt like at that time and even now, you mm-hmm. know, people want to put people in boxes. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the incredible Nick Cannon. You're truly one of my mentors and one of the people that showed me that you can be multifaceted. You know for a fact now that you're about to capture an audience that's going to have a spending power for at least another 20 years. To me, it's like my happiness has been valuable. Money doesn't make you happy, but happy makes you money. Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com. Hi, this is Sean McDonald. You're listening to uh, Money Making Conversations. Money Making Conversations my show. Your show? It's podcast. You sure? Syndicated, yeah. Okay. Nationwide, you know, weekends, uh, HBCU campuses, Sirius XM, wow, Spotify. I, I brought you on. I, I, you know, I had to make sure that uh, I'd elevated my game to the next level. And uh, let me introduce this young uh, friend. She's actually been in my. Ooh, she's, she's actually been in my uh, Chicago apartment uh, uh, 
uh, beat me up because I didn't make anything for <laughs> bacon. <laughs> Hungry. <laughs> <laughs> what you going to make for me? Oh, my God. I'm not, I'm not, That's why you were making all the pies and yeah. you didn't make me. Absolutely. I couldn't even get a taste. Yes. How you have somebody come over to your house and they won't even let you taste? She sat over there and watched me make all those pies. That was so, crazy. Are you but, still making pies? Uh, absolutely. Come on now. That's why I'm going to Kelly Clark's and I'll be doing it for her show today. Are you serious? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Can I come? No, ma'am. Uh, my next I'll guest is a graduate. Uh, no, no, I'm gonna carry your bag. No, you won't. No, you won't. Your my, pies? You talk too much. My next guest is a graduate of the Goldman Sachs 10,000K Small Business Program for Entrepreneurs and an awardee of the Entrepreneurship Entrepreneur of the Year by the Living Legends Foundation, which I was happily there to see and uh, was deeply moved and emotionally happy for her. A company BYOB, Be Your Own Brand, Be Your Own Brand, right. is a branding company that brands projects products, and people with a three-step process that Sheila developed while being a marketing executive in the music business. Exactly. Uh, and uh, so I met her. I never met her. It was interesting when I were, we talk about a relationship because people always knew about her in the music business, and then it was afterwards that uh, we developed our relationship. When I hounded you. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And she's very good at it. BYOB is in its 10th year, and she owns a trademark for BYOB, which is important to know is be your own brand. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, a good friend. I enjoy her I, I, from afar. I admire her, and I'm very appreciate this, appreciative that she's in the studio today. Please welcome Sheila Coates. Ooh, did this is this being recorded? Because I need all of that. Friend, he admires, <laughs> long time, all of those adjectives I've never heard you say before. I'm impressed. Plus, well, because I'm in the studio. Well, no, because you are special, and uh, you, mm-hmm. you know, you're an individual, and um, you carved a niche, uh, yes. a clear understanding of what uh, branding is all about. I want to, before we even get started, because I was going to your resume, in, a, in Missouri City, Texas. Yes. I'm from Houston, Texas, so mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with Missouri City, Texas. Mm-hmm. Now, you did the branding. Of the city. Of the city, Missouri City. So explain to everyone, and I want to start there. Okay. Because that, because uh, Missouri City, Texas is like a, a suburb of Houston. It's a, a very influent, affluent a community, very uh, diverse community. Very diverse community is uh, fifty nine south mm-hmm. of Houston, and uh, when I read that, I went, "Wow, that's really really cool." Let's talk through the process of how you get approached to. This is a city. Right. This, this is a major city here, mm-hmm. and I mean a, a booming city. And how does that how how break down the steps of of, of branding, um, showing leadership, and being able to get the word out. Exactly. Well, you know, everything I think is about relationships. So I met the city manager coming in doing a leadership conference for him through a good friend of mine named Anita Castile. And Anthony, after I did the leadership conference, had so many of his key people, like his fire chief and his um, assistant manager and that person who ran his police department say, you know, this is something new. We've never heard this before. We need to have her come back. They were in the process of trying to distinguish themselves from what is it, Sugarland? Sugarland, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Sugarland gets a lot more notoriety, but they wanted to find out how people would know about them. And so my three step process for branding their leadership team still is applicable for branding a city. Right. And so I said, Well, what are you known for? Mm-hmm. And more importantly, what do you want to be known for? Right. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, what can you deliver? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't answer those questions. Like everybody has a mission statement, right? You go into these cities and and, and they tell you, we want to be the place where you live and grow. And But at the end of the day, 
when I come to your city, what do you want me to know? Mm-hmm. It's not about the logo. It's mm-hmm. not about a tagline. It's about the experience that I'm going to get when I go into Missouri City. Right. And that's when they realized they didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Missouri City, Texas, which is a suburb right outside of Houston, Texas. Yes. This is important because I grew up near Missouri City. It was kind of like okay. a city that, uh, you know, football power. Mm-hmm. And um, and it kind of like went from just, just a regular little small community to an actual city. Mm-hmm. And then it got pushed all the way to the to the 59 side of the freeway. It grew, it, it kind of like, it started growing and just blossoming. And you're right, Sugar Land has always been Imperial Sugar, mm-hmm. always had that brand relationship, and, right. and people knew exactly what it was. But Missouri City still was like, okay. Yeah, we're just here. And they called themselves Mo City. You know, um, they had some bad reputation problems for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But they're really a friendly city. And so when we decided to take on the branding, I did this whole concept with them that I do with people, but I put it for the city and I had them tell me what is it that they can deliver. And I had all of their key uh, stakeholders involved. I had a lot of their employees involved and I got back a lot of feedback. And right. then they realized that there were three things that they were known for. The key was, though, do you appreciate those three things? Right. Because mm-hmm. you always think I should be like Houston or I should be more like Sugarland. But if I'm a person coming to the city, there are some things that I want to know about this city that I know I can get. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing because then I tested it. Mm-hmm. After they told me what their three attributes were, I went around the city to see. Mm-hmm. And I'm not joking. This was probably one of the friendliest cities I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. It is. So they told me they wanted to be known for their friendliness, for their ability to go above and beyond, mm-hmm. and for their ability to be of a diverse family community. Mm-hmm. Right. So when they said these things, I said, well, then you got to be this. This is a true story. I got a ticket. In, in Missouri City going 35 in a 30-mile zone. I was like, are you serious you guys pulled me over? Mm-hmm. I got pulled over. I went through the process of paying for the ticket instead of calling the police chief, which I was thinking about doing since right. I had met him, because mm-hmm. I wanted to see how they operated in every little area of, you know, the city. So I go to this place to pay for the ticket. This lady couldn't be nicer. Mm-hmm. When I came in the door, she said, good morning. How are you? How can I help you? And I'm thinking, okay, this is definitely not L.A., right? Right, right, right. I come in. She, I was in the wrong or building. Or Houston, right down or the road. Houston, okay. Or Sugar Land, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So she says to me, you're in the wrong place. Um, but hold on a minute. Let me make a call for you, and then I'll find out exactly where you need to go. She calls. She calls <laughs> the lady. She gives me the address. She tell- I was like, okay, maybe she knows I'm checking the mm-hmm. background of this mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. So sweet. Mm-hmm. I go to the next place before I could get in. Hi, how are you? Mm-hmm. I was told to ask for, oh, hold on. Let me go get her for you. Mm-hmm. They were friendly. They went above and beyond. This is what they told me that they wanted. These ladies didn't know that I was the branding person, and I was checking to see if the information that they had shared with me right. was really what they did. It was dead on. Mm-hmm. So I do this whole thing. I go around a couple places. I go to some stores. I go. I'm I'm checking because I said if you tell me this is who you are, I should feel this right from mm-hmm. the people that are working in your city. Right. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I did that for like maybe a week or so. Mm-hmm. I pull all of the key stakeholders back together and I give them the names and the places of the people who I had interacted with. Mm. You guys are this city. The thing was, the city manager says to me, well, oh, is that anything great? I mean, like, should I said, now, if I'm a person who's putting my family here, don't yes. I want a family mm-hmm. friendly environment? Mm-hmm. So friendliness is important to me. Right. If I'm telling somebody that I have a diverse community and I'm a business who's looking for diversity, mm-hmm. this is the place I need to be. Once they realize that these are your attributes, 
Let's start talking about them. Right. They you can't Promote just them. yeah. Mm-hmm. So now in their community relations, when they do events, mm-hmm. they you know if you do a city event. Promote that it's going to be a friendly event because you guys are going to be friendly. Friendly, Promote that it's going to be safe Mm -hmm. and diverse. Mm -hmm. They got it. Mm -hmm. So now businesses can come there and realize, I can come here and it's going to be safe. Mm -hmm. I can come here and move my employees because it's going to be friendly. Mm -hmm. It's a family environment. It was so much fun to get them to see who they were, but more importantly, to get them to see you really are that. Right. So that's what I do when I do cities. I'm about to brand... um, Volunteers of America, which is a, a huge organization, Absolutely. yes, mm-hmm. but they're a nonprofit. There's right. thousands of nonprofits. Why am I going to give you money? Right. That's what I'm helping them down distinguish. What do you do that another nonprofit doesn't do? Right. And what's uniquely you? So that's what branding is all about, is giving you that identity, just like, you know, a Nike or anyone else. Everything is a brand. Right. It's the experience and the perception that you want people to have when they encounter you yeah it, it really has changed the game I, I would tell people we're in the muhammad ali era you know people can just promote they can talk they can scream they can mm. shout immediately because of social media where that 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 branding was left to corporations back in the day who advertised on the radio right. and tv and commercials and digital and things like that because of social media now you're part of the you're part of the cure as part of the problem yeah, but I love the fact that you use Muhammad Ali. I use him a lot because I say I am, and it's not just me, but it's scientifically proven that the words I am, mm-hmm. whatever you follow that with, you become. Whether you're a Christian, scientific, whatever, you become what you believe. Mm-hmm. So I am is so important. Muhammad Ali was the first to say, I am what? The greatest. The greatest. Mm-hmm. He told you that from day one. Mm-hmm. I am the greatest. I'm the greatest looking. I'm the greatest fighter. Mm-hmm. I'm the greatest dresser. Mm-hmm. When he died, what did they call him? The goat, greatest. Mm-hmm. Greatest the greatest of all times. Of all times. Mm-hmm. See, that's the power of understanding I am in mm-hmm. your brand. Mm-hmm. You become what you believe. And that's why I say to young kids, you tell yourself, you know, I am badass or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, you become that. You start mm-hmm. to embody that. Mm-hmm. And then you have to act like that. Mm-hmm. When Muhammad Ali said that, it wasn't about even branding himself mm-hmm. as much as he was making a point. But in all of the time that he said that. Right. They ended up calling him that. And that's the power of knowing that I am. Right. Yeah. Telling yourself, great. Uh, thank you for coming on my show, Money Making Conversation. Thank she you. Will. You know, uh, I could talk to you all day. Well, in fact, you know, we got to. You can take th- me to lunch if you want. We can keep Well, it. I got to catch the airport, airplane. I got to go to the airport, catch the plane, because I got to go to L.A. because, you know, I'm busy like that. Mm. But more importantly, we have to do this every quarter. I would uh, love to. It's I part of the it. brand. It's part of the process that I want to. I'm in a good place in my life now where I can be able to say this is what I want to be able to communicate to my listeners and to my fan base on the regular basis. And you are a star. Well, you are and then hopefully it'll help them. That's really my goal. Well, it's, to it's, get people it, to understand. You help me. We're all unique. You help me. And I think that's, I feel that's important part of it because you can, you constantly educate me every time I communicate with you. And I always feel, feel that that's the key to my success. I'm willing mm-hmm. to take on new information and you got to keep winning and you got to keep being Sheila. Thank you. I Thank can't you. do nothing but. That's Money Making Conversation, everybody. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, follow us on Making Conversations on social. Uh, got all the social website.com. Find out who's on moneymakingconversation.com. Again, Rashawn McDonald. Have a great year. Great life. I will always be there thinking about you. Hi, this is Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversations. You say to yourself, who calls Rashawn's show? Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Lala Anthony. We met, you know, you always say, Rashawn, yes. 
Uh, can you give me? Can we talk? Can we talk? I, I mean, always talk to you about everything, <laughs> everything. And looking at you and Steve Harvey, you know, that motivated me too because I would see all the amazing things you guys were doing and not just being on the radio. I mm -hmm. felt like at that time and even now, you mm -hmm. know, people want to put people in boxes. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, the incredible Nick Cannon. You truly one of my mentors and one of the people that showed me that you can be multifaceted. You know for a fact now that you about to capture an audience that's going to have a spending power for at least another 20 years. To me, it's like my happiness is invaluable. Money doesn't make you happy, but happy makes you money. Money Making Conversations continues online at www.moneymakingconversations.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time you stop thinking about your dreams and put some plans into action.